All right. I do believe we are live. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, and welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov, at LevPo on Twitter, and we are here today with a friend who I have known all the way back from 2004. Yes, this is how old I am, despite my very youthful face over here. Patrick Smith, who is also looking very useful, but uh, useful, uh, youthful, youthful, who has been blessed by the sun, I would say by the sun goddess Amaratsu in all of your wonderful uh, dealings in life. You are a genius animation uh, creator. Uh, you were doing commercial work, independent work. You worked at MTV and uh, you are living a brilliant life doing what you love, which is something that all of us should strive for. Speaking of which, we have another person here who is doing what he loves, what we should all strive for, Hans Van Harken, who Hello. is from the... Hello, who is from the Newgrounds community, and today we are going to be talking with these wonderful two gentlemen about animation, about one's career in animation, the different path that uh, Patrick took versus Hans, as well as the state of animation today and the state of creativity. You guys are two brilliant people who I'm honored to have on. Everybody who is new to this, please subscribe right now, help grow the channel, and patreon.com slash break the rules. So after this intro, let's go to Pat. Pat, just tell us a little bit more about how you got into animation, and yeah, just go for it, brother. Uh, Lev, thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time, and uh, man, I I remember you when you were very little. <laughs> you were this the coolest kid at every film festival. You were like this. You were this kid who really loved animation, and uh, it's it's cool to see you, you that you, that that you've you've continued on uh, into doing stuff like this podcast. Uh, anyway, no, I want to get back into animation. Don't say that. I'm going to get back into animation. This is temporary. <laughs> animation is forever. But go on. It's all, it's all relative. I mean, so anyway, uh, it's great to be here. And, uh, so I'm Patrick Smith. Uh, I'm, I make independent animated short films, uh, full time. And, uh, I've been doing it. I've, I've been only, I've been full time for only a few years. Uh, before that I, I had a career in television and all that nonsense, but now I, I, I really only, I only make short films on my YouTube channel. And, uh, that's, I guess we're going to talk about that today. If, uh, if, unless there's something more interesting to talk about which maybe Hans will help out with. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm sure we'll stumble onto something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Pat, originally I think the very first film that I saw was the one with the uh, two brothers who were fighting over a uh, delivery. Was that your first foray into independent films? And do you have this uh, film here in your, uh, in your roster? What you're talking about is my film delivery, which was my least favorite film. Mm. Uh, I think it, it's a really bad film. Uh, it was my, that was my second film. My first film was called Drake, which was the only film I've ever had that got shortlisted for an Oscar. Although at the time I had no idea that it was because back then it, things weren't spoken about, you know, right. and, uh, delivery was a disaster, but it, it, it had its moments. Um, interesting fact is the blood splatter from delivery after the brother kills the other brother is the same exact blood splatter I used on my newest film that I just posted last week. Oh wow! Well, why not keep it? I have yeah. I had the file, and yeah, I, so a good splatter is a good splatter. A good splatter is a good splatter. <laughs> yes, that's the quote of the podcast right there. And so, before, uh, yeah. And before I get to Hans, I just want to say, Pat, this is one of my favorites. As you know, I remember a. Uh, teenage Lev who was bothering you at the Annecy Animation Festival ah, because I wanted you to draw this girl over here in the bikini. Oh yeah, I remember that. I never <laughs> did. I never did. 
You sort of did. You sort of did. You <laughs> drew it. Yes, you drew it, I think, on a CD. And it was like, oh it probably God. took you like five seconds. But still, you owe me for one bikini picture. So oh, I, I still remember all, all right. these years. Yes, yeah, so uh, Handshake, by the way, brilliant movie. I love it. Anyway, on to Hans Van Harken. Please tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Uh, well, I started animating when I was like a teenager, uh, probably like 13, 14, because uh, I was a, became aware of Newgrounds and thought, what? Like, people are making this? Like, single people are making this? And it's when my eyes were open to programs like Flash and stuff at the time. This must have been like 2003 or four, when it was like still fl Macromedia Flash. And um, I had, before that, started learning animation with Claymation when I was younger um and then i realized wow this really opens up a whole new dimension of cartoons or like that i can make and uh so then i really uh newgrounds kind of became my free art college <laughs> where i was meeting a lot of other animators and stuff and collaborations and stuff would happen on that website um where we would all kind of put our put our our forces together to make stuff uh i see you're skimming through <laughs> some of the old cartoons <laughs> yeah uh, a lot of the cartoons, the cool thing about Newgrounds was like you could just kind of like fart out whatever you thought was funny that weekend, you know, and then put it on the Internet. And before YouTube, uh, it was like a place to have an audience. So that's kind of what became my training wheels for uh, just making stuff uh, with an audience in mind versus just making stuff when I was a kid with animations for myself. Right. And it created this like chain reaction of creativity in my life that I've been still improvising to this day of how to pull off. Cause like, I know we are talking about, we're gonna be talking about like animation and like the career of that, but uh, I've been kind of just making it up as I go. And I'm sure like everybody has a vibe of like uh, their own version of that. But um, a lot of the times it's, I've just stuck together with my creative friends I've met since I was young and grew up with collaborating with. And the latest, uh, little success story is that my friend Zach and his friend Michael, they have their own adult swim show now called Smiling Friends. And I helped write on that um, and did some voices. So it's been really cool to see like the friends I grew up with, like kind of everyone uh, leveling up and growing together uh, at our own pace and in our, in our own categories and our own, you know. Uh, so it's been really cool to see like where we started and uh, where we're at now. And mm. I guess we'll see where we'll keep going. <laughs> well, in the New York animation community, uh, nice comments, Patrick, by the way. In the New York animation community, I noticed that there was not that much overlap at all with Newgrounds. <laughs> like, they might as well have been, a, yeah, now you see it, they might as well have been a different planets. So how would you describe, Patrick, not just the New York animation community, but the indie animation community in general? Like, what exactly would you say is the vibe of this particular group? And do you see yourself going into a different direction than other people? Like, I remember back in 2000 and what was 2006, 2007, you and Bill Plimpton, who was a genius independent animator, were talking about YouTube and how you were all gung-ho for YouTube and Bill was kind of dismissing YouTube, not really taking it too seriously. And look now, like your poor series, I think the very first film that you made, the uh, the poor movie, that one, and that's P-O-U-R, by the way. Poor. That one, yeah, poor. Like that one, exactly. <laughs> that movie has a stupid amount of views. 
Like it's in the what, 100 million. It doesn't even show up. Like when I loaded it in the tab, I didn't even see the amount of views. YouTube refused to show me the amount of views. That's it's how many about, views it it's got. It's almost 200 million. It's yes. 190 or something, right? Yeah. So how did you... And first of all, you are a genius animator, but there are, you know, the, sometimes things would be a bit of a lottery, especially on the internet when it comes to getting discovered. So what was the path that you took in order for you to get to where you are as far as the YouTube uh, notoriety, the YouTube cloud, as it were? Well, uh, so there were, there were two questions packed in there, um, but they're related. Uh, so YouTube is kind of perfect for an independent animator that has done a lot of their own work for decades without any type of uh, financial reward. Uh, so I always did animated shorts. What, what I just, it was something I always had to do. I did it between jobs. I did it, you know, it's just something I had to do. And the funny thing about YouTube is you're, you're not an advocate for it right up to the point that it's working for you. Right. The, the minute it works for you, all of a sudden you're, you know, go YouTube. So that's what happened to me as, um, and I've, I've talked to a lot of other creators on YouTube and, and it's a very similar story. It goes like this. One, they had a, they had a catalog of films, maybe even only four or five. And one, for some reason, it gets to a threshold of, um, on the algorithm where it's getting enough engagement, it's getting watched long enough where it kind of just clicks over into this whole other world. It becomes exponential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's what that's what happened. The first film that happened was with Poor, uh, 585. And Poor 585 was in the film festivals. It, it, it was, um, it, I did all the regular stuff that I always did. And I put it on YouTube because that's where all films go to die. That's That was my regular thing. I was like, okay, I'm done with that. Post it on YouTube. Because I want as many people as possible to see the film. Right. What I didn't understand was that there's a whole other thing. And that's when a video truly goes viral. And I'm not talking about 100,000 views. I'm talking about 200 million views. And, and as well as uh, financially, uh, uh, stuff that you wouldn't even imagine. You know, it, it, it's insane for an animated short. And um, so it just changed everything. And then what happens is you, you have that one initial uh, viral uh, film and all of a sudden three other your older films get viral and then it just blows up from there and then you make a new film and that rides off the tails of all of that and um, it really is a pretty exciting thing it's turned my world upside down in the last two years and I kind of I, I, I hope more animators do it I know that a few independent animators are really success, successful doing it and it's cool to see but I, I don't think it's quite a thing yet most thing, most stuff on YouTube is low, 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 low budget um, stuff that's pumped out weekly. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I'm a, I think I'm a little unique in that I only make a film every four months. Hmm. Uh, if I'm lucky. Well, uh, there was a there was yeah. a comment from Ryan over here in the chat who says getting discovered in 2022 is much more difficult than 2011 or even 2016. And Hans, as we know, various people, you know, like Aaron Hansen, for example, who was in animation and now he does Game Grumps. Do you think that that wave that, let's say, someone like Patrick was able to ride, that that is over? That there isn't a way for people to get into making successful animations, independent animations or parody animations on YouTube anymore, or with something like Meat Canyon, are we seeing a revival of that? And why would that be? 
Did you want me to answer? Yes, that? yes. Uh, yeah, because um, really quickly though, was it three goats you have to sacrifice for the algorithm? <laughs> Is that what you had to do? No, um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I think yeah. So one a famous case that a lot of like artists on the internet complain about and there's reasons for it um is the the adpocalypse when like youtube switched its uh method of financial reward right where there was a period i think it was 2013 or 14 when youtube decided to change that you get paid per minute watched rather than uh view right and um ever since then a lot of animators have said oh it's not as financially like um motivating to make a cartoon because it takes so long to make a minute in animation blah 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 i guess i'm gonna have to do more instant content you know but the truth is is that you um i'm not uh, obviously money is a good thing like to be rewarded for we need money to live in the world we're living in um but you can't be motivated by just that like you have to just to do like you can't you can't change your creative incentives you know uh, based on what the algorithm or the system is asking for, you got to do your thing, like you, Pat. Uh, Pat where uh, you just do you do your thing. I, you know, a lot, I, like you just said, I know a lot of people do the try to do the weekly thing, and you, every four months you make something. Like that's your that's your flow. You just got to find your flow and keep at it. And sure, maybe the entry point got a little bit more narrow, but it it's like. That's kind of how I've been doing it. It's like, I, I remember when that switched, I was like, ah, like trying to rewire my brain. And it's like, how do I conform to this? And it's like, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And the rewards will come when they come, you know? So like, Hans, you've been doing it for a long time now, right? Uh, animation? Yeah. I mean, uh, no, the, the YouTube in particular. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, yeah. I've been doing it. F I, uh, I was there like from when YouTube was for before Google bought it, you know? In, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> 2008 but what i was doing there it was funny it's because you're right when you said oh, i'll put it to uh, on youtube because that's where they go to die yeah in, in your case you thought you planted it in a graveyard but you planted it in a garden you know yeah. <laughs> and it actually ended up well growing. Said, yeah. yeah yeah but uh for me youtube in the early 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 days it was like i would put on on on, on new grounds right and then uh like i had a claymation series that's more of like a video you know uh instead of animation since it's like because i use my webcam so i was like oh maybe i'll put my claymation on youtube because video is better on youtube you know like that was my logic at the time but yeah so i've been at it for a while but i wasn't like again I, it's just like an outlet you know you just put your stuff on these things and then things happen you know mm -hmm. and then you just kind of figure out as you go uh what what you do what you do with it i never there was only a short period of time where I worked with a friend of mine named Rodrigo El Cid, uh, where we were like, all right, this is the year of YouTube. We're going to like, you know, try to make like six cartoons this year, like funny cartoons and all this. And we really kind of mashed together our, our efforts and, and like pumped out a lot of stuff, you know? Right. And uh, that was actually the year that they changed the algorithm. <laughs> so, <laughs> like halfway through it. Um, so we were like, uh, you know, uh, we, we aren't getting the money, but we still ended up making stuff. But we stopped chasing this like purple dragon. We we, right. we just kind of calibrated back to what, what we can and, and 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 want to do to make really really good stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I, I think about this a lot with YouTube. Is that like, for example, the last year or so, um, me and my wife we shifted to uh, making YouTube full time, and uh, I'm wondering. I'm sitting here and I, re I it's not lost on me that I'm making a living doing animated shorts, which was always my dream. 
always from the, from the, from when I was uh, very young mm -hmm. and it's not lost on me. The fact that that's revolutionary, uh, especially, uh, in a, in a, in a situation where someone like me, I get no funding I get from, you know, grants or anything. They won't touch me. Nobody gives me any money. And I, I, this has to be something, unless I'm an anomaly, which I refuse to believe, which obviously I'm not, uh, this has to be something in, in this is almost like, you know, Gutenberg printing press type thing, like where an artist can publish something and get millions and millions of um, not only views, but also subscribers. Uh, I don't think it's ever happened before. And um, it, I kind of, I, I, I'm trying to grapple with that and, and try to figure out if it's actually something revolutionary or if it's just something like, what was that vine? Maybe it's vine, you know, and it's going to be gone in a couple of years, but it hasn't disappeared. And uh, it's, it's an interesting question to ponder. Yeah. I mean, so um, go on. Yeah. There is something that is related to that. What you're saying that I, uh, I do find interesting is um, uh, so pre pandemic or as they say, BC before COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I, I, just... <laughs> I know you're about to. Uh, oh, man. Um, so b b BC before COVID, um, I remember for years when I was in L.A. and talking to a lot of my animator friends. One of the things we were frustrated with, with the, for example, the, the animation industry, like car, like the cartoon world, right? The TV cartoon world was we were frustrated because it was sort of stuck in this transitional period where they were still using models based on the times when you had to like paint every frame and they'd send it to Korea and they would do all the line work there. And then, you know, you know, when they used to do that, you would like in the United States, draw all the storyboards and draw all the base keyframes. And then you'd send like a department in Korea to like, draw the lines and color them and they send the cells back like they still they were still operating on that system when like only like eight years ago you know um in the in the animation industry and um when when everything's done digitally anyway so it was weird they would like draw things digitally send it to korea have them like digitally drawn the lines on and it's like why are you doing this you're making shows more expensive for no reason we had this belief where it's like this technological advancement, this availability of animation, all this that you're kind of talking about, this kind of Gutenberg accessibility revolution, it can make it so that an animated show could be made by a band of people. So mm -hmm. it's like the animation industry could work more like a music industry where it's like hire a band of people, give them a little bit of money and like, you know, so that they're all well, this few, this smaller group of people is paid well. And then, and then like, make an album of cartoons right and and uh and, and and that way you can invest in more cartoons uh you know at once so you could try more things out especially now uh where you can even extend this this accessibility thing to the fact that there's streaming services and there's just so much stuff to look for rather than filling time slots on a tv slot you know tv uh on a tv um scheduling hmm. block right hmm. so it's like so the pandemic kind of finally made the light bulb click in their eye in the, on the, on the, over their head and let, let them see the light where it was kind of like studios went, shit, how do we keep making stuff? Oh, we could do it remotely because everything in animation is digital. And we were like, yes, we've been saying this forever. And you it took the whole world to lock down for you to understand that mm. this has been right here. Just like, you know, this is a whole oh. new way the industry can like think of financing artists and like trying yeah. a, little, a bunch of little things out you know and being more liberal with with uh 
with uh, what kind of stuff uh, uh, a studio can produce. You know, well, this was a big complaint that I was giving to uh, Toon Boom back in the day, where I don't recall exactly what it was, but they had some kind of program that was only accessible for studios. And I was like, wait a minute, why don't you guys start uh, looking into studios that are like these digital studios that don't happen to have an official studio space? Like, according right. to them, studio meant like Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon. Like, it has that... to be a building. Yeah. Yes. And really, there's no reason for it to be like that. And in the short that I did, Only Love, in fact, let me see if I could load that one up as well here in the thing. But uh, Only Love was a short that I did with uh, Ivan Boyvin, who is here in the chat. Uh, hello, Ivan. And that one was me with uh, the animation being done like with uh, partly Ivan. A lot of it uh, was uh, his uh, wonderful handiwork along with several different animators and cleanup people and outline people. And we never saw each other face to face. This was even before webcams, uh, well, before high quality webcams. So we would all just do it remotely and we ended up making a finished uh, product that I think was really good. It went to a lot of festivals, uh, won several awards, yada yada. I'm not gonna brag about it anymore. The point is, is that this is the future and only now people are catching up to it yeah. but and so enough, that's what yeah. smiling friends was like they were like all right it's kind of the garage band anime animated show right it's this kind of the door that i think is finally opening it's like you can do that now you know and they understand too Mm -hmm. And uh, Ivan says, small, innovative, self-directed studio is the model we accidentally created for ourselves here where I work. We can push out ideas very quickly and integrate on the go. And another thing which I think is uh, important to keep in mind is that somebody like Patrick, for example... You live in a very beautiful place around nature, around the woods, around birds chirping, and you get to spend time with your family and do art at the same time. Yeah. And that is something that I think so many people today, like I think partly why so many people are really dysfunctional is because they don't have that. They don't have that kind of uh, that kind of life. And what has that been like for you to be able to be a family man? You know, now that you know, congratulations, you're a father, husband. What is that like with the animation? Did that make you slow down or speed up or uh, let me know? Uh, well, it, it's, a, it's a good point. I've actually, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question there. I, I, I never really think about it, but honestly, it changed everything is uh, your, well, of course, you know, when you have a family, your priorities shift, shift. But interesting thing with me is, is it, it happened about maybe a couple of years ago. I had this realization that if Netflix called me and wanted to do a series, I wouldn't do it. And that was huge for me because I realized that my priorities had shifted. I no longer wanted that because I know what that entails. I know right. what you have to do to do that. I, I've, I've done the director thing. I've done that when I was younger and I would rather make small films by myself and make a little bit of money than and make a living, make a, make a modest, make a living. Yeah, yeah make a, honestly, well, as, yeah. as Buddha says, uh, enough is a feast, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's all I, I like really that. want. And uh, so it, everything shifted. And from there, it kind of just blossomed from there. And I, I got even more and more into it. And then I started doing my early morning routine so I can check out at 10 a.m., 11 a.m. And then I have just the rest of the day. And honestly, I feel like I've been on vacation for the last decade. That's awesome. Even though I've produced more than I ever have before in my career. So it's this, it's this strange, uh, productivity dichotomy that I'm still kind of, uh, reconciling, but, um, it's for, for, for people that can actually produce something alone, it's the way to go. 
uh, I realize that's not everybody. You know, not everybody has a style that they can, uh, or 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 the the knowledge of you know programs and all this bullshit that you know that leads up to making an animated film. I realize not everybody has that, but if you have it, man, it's it's the way mm. to go. Was it also helpful that in the beginning, not just with MTV, you were working on that show uh, Downtown, but afterwards as well, you uh, created the Zoloft blob or whatever you would call that. And afterwards, you know, with uh, uh, Ron Diamond, you know, there was the animation show and different opportunities that came from that. So there was a very specific commercial path that I think helped in making you independent today. How much would you say that is a viable option for people as far as... uh, those who want to make animation into a living, but want to have control over their own product. Well, you just articulated it really well. And, and Hans probably could even echo this is that it's this diverse attack and you, en- you end up, at, you end up somewhere. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is, you know, like for example, my career, looking back on it, I'm 50 now and I, I'm looking back on this career and you realize, yeah, you were hitting commercials, you were hitting series, you're hitting indie films, you're hitting film festivals. You were just going, just hog wild for so long and what happens is inevitably some type of path forms and it gets you to where you you end up and it and i'm fortunate that it worked for me but i think it i think that strategy will work for most people and it's it's a long trip it's it is it's and everything you everybody you mentioned ron is is one of my dear friends he helped me a lot spike and mike helped me a lot Mm. uh downtown chris pernowski head of titmouse helped me a lot i mean these are all people that were influential in my career and uh hell yeah fuck that was the best times i mean and that's it's like you said like um there is uh the sense the sense of luck that people talk about oh you need to be lucky you know it's like no it's because when the more you try things the more chemical reactions you create right the more you're increasing your odds right yeah like the more you throw out there the more yeah doors and possibilities open it's like increasing the string theory of it you know right so yeah yeah, yeah. so it's it's not I, I think when people say luck i don't think it should be something that's something i don't think it should be something that is um like that should deflate you. It's just like, oh, well then I just, you just got to increase your odds and, and yeah. try different stuff, you know? And open I mean, luck is, out. luck is being healthy and being able to do this stuff. You know, yeah. luck is, uh, luck is marrying the right person. Luck is, is surrounding yourself with the right people you, you, because these are True. things you have no control over. I mean, mm. you, yeah, it's There's uh, only so much you can yeah. raise. Yeah. But this stuff, you actually do have a certain level of control over. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Well, it's, you're it's, creating it. Yeah. yeah. You're, and you're making it. Yeah. And it's almost like the effort that you put into it, if you believe in there being some metaphysical reality that's outside of our control, and oh, we got 20 Canadian dollars. Oh, man. Okay. I'm nice. going to have to say this got some right, ads. Got right, some right afterwards. But I do want to bring this up that you, Pat, like you have been very uh, fortunate in that uh, you, for whatever reason, decided to go to Singapore. Uh, way back in the day for uh, an animation uh, class that you were teaching and you met your future wife uh, Kaori there in Singapore and just like think of all the different chances that uh, you took in life to get you to where you are do you believe I mean this is going further away from the animation but it's kind of what I always bring up on BTR anyway (laughs) how much do you think that there is some metaphysical reality outside of our understanding where the more that we put into this life we end up getting certain things given back to us in return for that? It's a great question. It's way more interesting than animation. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I think about, I think about this a lot, but what the, what the hell, 
You know, like what you, you think about all these strings and where they lead and the decisions and they lead. And, and I mean, they're uh, personally, I mean, uh, I, I really do think there's some type of divine intervention here. Uh, I agree. But at the same time, you have someone who ends up, you know, with a horrible physical disease or, uh, you know, dead kids or something horrible like that. And you're like, Oh, well, what kind of divine intervention is that? So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult to think of, but all I know is that, uh, that stuff that you just mentioned is beyond our pedigree. We can't possibly understand it. So I, you just kind of sit there and do your best. you right. I mean, mm-hmm. Well, yes and no. Maybe if you went to a cave and meditated for 40 days and then came out, then maybe you'll understand it more. But people work. People don't have time to do a lot of the stuff. So when people ask, for example, why is it that we haven't seen any proof of certain things that people would consider to be in the paranormal, my response would be people don't have the time. People don't have the time to look into these things. People don't have the time to actually experiment on themselves to see what exactly is possible. For me, just because I got into meditation back in 2016, I was able to see certain things that are possible as far as what the human mind can do. So both of you guys being animators, this would be interesting for you. For some of the regular viewers of BTR, they've heard this a thousand times, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I meditate, I end up getting to the point where I'm able to generate three-dimensional models inside of my head. The models themselves, they're not that complicated. They are they're full of various lights spinning around, but the models themselves would be something like a wide DNA helix around which is this three-dimensional dome with a three-dimensional dome on top of that and like this long dome on top of that one, kind of like you take a dome and you stretch it out. And I am able to rotate this thing in three dimensions, zoom in, zoom out. And this is all like blue and purple colors in this thing. And when this happens, these uh, this area over here, what people refer to as the third eye, you know, like the center between the eyes, it ends up vibrating like a small motor. It ends up going like that when this is happening. This is I wouldn't say this is fully unrelated to animation, though, because in a way, the process itself seems like the process of creation where in the state between dreaming and awaking, I sometimes get to this point where I see these white lines that are generated and the white lines end up turning in, this happened one time, into what I would describe as a very primitive three-dimensional animation of a uh, octopus where you would have like a 3D box and then these legs sticking out and then all of a sudden, it starts getting rounded. The lines start getting curved. The polygon count gets... gets Yes, uh, yes, exactly, exactly. And then you have this jellyfish creature with now the smoother, rounder... Uh, are you saying you see this like in, during the meditation process? No, I that I particularly saw in the midpoint between dreaming and awaking, where oh, wow. I was I was fully conscious of what was going on. I was fully aware of it, and I saw this jellyfish creature that was swimming around in my head, <laughs> which had these colorful lights in the rim, like the area wow. that's between the head and the tentacles. So that is just one example of leaning into the idea that there is more to this creation than meets the eye, more to being able to generate these thought forms and what they mean i mean it's interesting like i don't know like patrick since now you are and don't worry i'm gonna go back to i'm gonna get to the super chat and then go back to the animation oh animation boring no it's gonna be fun anyway patrick since you are 
now i guess i should say like uh partly in the japanese household would you say that that's kind of like more eastern influence as far as philosophy goes were you able to absorb any of that as far as um you know as far as how you perceive the world uh well you're obviously totally insane (laughs) 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 wonderfully wonderfully insane as am i as am i so uh it's a it's a it's you gotta be yeah you gotta you gotta be uh well, I mean, I mean, uh, the the person I married has influenced me in a lot of levels, and I think this is one of them. Uh, I married a Buddhist, and uh, mm, I'm a nice. I, I'm a, you know, I, I was a dormant Catholic, and she got me back into it. Not because she's like that term, dormant Catholic. Mm, I, I think, yeah. Not because I specifically had this rekindling of faith. It's just that she sees Buddhism the same as anything else, and that's actually a thread with most uh, anybody involved in either Taoism, Zen or Buddhism. They actually, they don't distinguish between these philosophies because they're, they're all so freaking similar. Yeah. You know? And uh, that's funny. Yeah. I actually, that's what I believe. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. It's great. Once you, realize, once you realize they're similar, you just kind of, I oh, mean, yeah. if you read the, you read Buddha, he, he contradicts himself all the time and there's nonsense in there as well, just like anything else. But overall, the, the stuff in there is just gold. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so I have a lot to thank for that with uh, the person I chose to be with. Um, as far as everything else you said, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to need drugs for that kind of stuff when I was younger. But now I don't really rely on drugs. You just kind of. That's good. That's yeah. good because that's one thing I've yeah. seen like a lot of people get lost in where it's like um, you can like – you can take the vending machine, kind of put it, the external, you know, like the external influence to get you to that place. But you could actually yeah. conjure that yourself. Like that's one of the um, – And this is much... totally sober, by the way. Just so you guys know, these experiences are totally sober. No drugs yeah, yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, like I, I remember like I never quite got into weed. Like, you know, I'm not against it or whatever. But, uh, but like I never got into it because like I did feel like it's like is this going to like influence that like imagination that like I've been – sort of trying to keep alive since I was a kid, you know, as the world is like chewing you up. It's like, there's a certain kind of spark that you don't want to fizzle out. Right. And um, so, so yeah, like I do, I do believe you can, it's, you can tap into that. And I, I wanted to actually talk about something because um, that you, based on what, what you guys were talking about. Um, and it's um, uh, I've sort of spread out into also live action uh, uh, production and stuff. And uh, one of the things I've loved to realize is how different, like, the process of animation is to live action how you can like bring from both sides you know there's there's like certain things in animation you can bring into live action and vice versa but one of the main differences to me is that i do see animation as a very like monk-like craft you know like you do have to focus and put yourself in this sort of kind of dreamlike uh dreamlike uh sort of uh trance you know uh and and sort of like funnel your energy and your fo- like you almost have to, like disembody yourself as you're like drawing and stuff you know it's a it's a very trans trans transplant you have to like transplant yourself into what you're doing and live action from my experience so far at least has been more this kind of like on your toes rapid fire problem solving okay what's this what's the you know it's like what can you it's almost like being a hunter right where you're going out through a process right uh, through like a situation and you're like trying to like find the moments you can capture, you know, right around you that then you can, and then the editing process is more like animation where then you kind of can like 
give yourself enough pieces to then go into that like monk-like animation process where you're focusing and trying to like find and sculpt this thing. But while you're like filming, it's like it's been really cool to see the different kinds of ways I've been like channeling my art, you know. And 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 um, but that's one of the things I do like about animation is that it is this very like monk-like Zen thing. I do I do think. You know, as you can see, like right out there, we're out in the desert. And so it's just like we go out there, the wearing costume. That's me, by the way, in the mm-hmm. little bowler hat. And uh, you, you just try to like, you're just kind of, it's it's sort of like <laughs> filming is more manic, you know, <laughs> it's more manic. But I kind of like that energy, you know, that, uh, yeah. Did you get yeah. it? Is that no. a fly? Oh, damn. <laughs> fucking flies been around here this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> You got yeah, so, you got to so, become Zen and just like t- grab the fly with some chopsticks. With chopsticks like Miyagi. Speaking of Miyagi, yeah, <laughs> Miyagi that shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, I had a question about that live action stuff because I've always yeah. wondered. This is like, Tell so me. I could never do it. I, I know I, I'm never good at cruise. Anytime I've ever worked with a team, I suck at it. I just I'm a loner. I'm like you said, I'm a monk. I do that. But you know, the live action stuff is such a huge transition for an animator to make. It, do you see it as an easy transition? Like, is it? Is it are, when you animate? Are you a team oriented person, or is it? And that's why it was easier. Or? Uh, actually, that's a very good point. Um, I ha- uh, I think that uh, uh, so obviously I have my cartoons, but my favorite times were when I worked with like a team, you know, and maybe because I am more talkative and social, like um, I, I have that like that muscle in my brain that um, I like the the feeling of like spinning multiple plates at once. Right, know? right. And so that's where like in live action, I found, right, like I think the 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 natural conclusion a lot of people think is like, I want to be a director. But I've kind of realized I'm a pretty good producer, right, in the sense where it's like I know what the creative process is like, right? I know like I'm not like a, a soulless producer, right? Uh, mm. But I like trying to almost be like the psychologist and, and like understand what each part needs, you know, making sure every part of it, every every – Every box is checked, you know, so that when you go on set, it's like everything is moving as as fluidly as possible. You know, right. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. You know, right. that's right. why maybe like um, uh, in my the way I've helped write Smiling Friends is like I know my friend Zach really well and I've gotten to know Michael really well. And they have they're exploding with so many funny ideas. And so I, I like to kind of like level with them and see where their head's at and where they're trying to get to and what each, not only w- why each joke's funny, but w- what each part means and then try to help them, right? Figure out what's the best way to string together these ideas, you know? So what's and, the, what, how many people are you working with over there? Uh, oh, on, on Smiling Friends? Yeah, it's, my, it's, my uh, it's just them. And then I think I'm the only staff writer. Mm. Uh, it's very, it's like very, like I said, it's a very garage band. It's very like a group of friends making a show, and then they have their contacts with their animation crew. Um, so I, I help on the on the pre production side, you know, on the mm. on the very early stages of it. And speaking uh, of, speaking of smiling friends, this brings us to the super chat. This is from Namu Zed for twenty Canadian dollars. Thank you so much, Namu. Smiling friends getting greenlit really reminded me of the old MTV days, downtown, the Max, etc. Of taking a chance oh, on creators. Max. Oh yeah, Max is great. Yeah. Do you think more networks will go that route, or will it always be niche? Um, no, I, I, I mean, look, I could be wrong, but I definitely believe uh, the floodgates have been opened. Um, I like I do think there's a, a, a zeitgeist shift going on in the animation industry right now as far as it go as it 
as far as that goes, like, um, like I said earlier, investing in smaller teams of people and more smaller investments, you know, uh, which I like because it's like they're also probably going to it's going to create a culture where studios will be more hands off because it's like, well, we got like 30 things we invested in 30 different kind of little things. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like they're kind of just like it's it's honestly it's kind of like the American experiment, like, you know, the idea of states rights, like you can a, one country can run multiple experiments at once rather mm-hmm. than like investing in these single big things and it's like make or break. And so they get, the studios get more paranoid and then they're like, this has to work. And then they have their ideas of what works, you know, it's more like, mm-hmm. here's a bunch of things. Let's, let's let it naturally result in how the audiences respond and how the creatives make it, you know? Well, that's the, that's been the difficult thing for me to figure out when it comes to uh, studios. Cause so far I haven't really seen as much, until again some like smiling friends comes along of this example of or uh, let's say old school adult swim i think that's another example of people taking a chance on various uh, properties well which is understandable why it's adult swim again that did that but more i've just seen a lot of reluctance and being almost like hey fellow kids mode when it comes to certain content that comes out you know what I mean? Like this kind of like trying too hard to appeal to certain things that they think are the popular things. And I don't know what exactly it's going to take to change that around, as well as how newer generations respond to content. Like how much, just as a general question for both of you guys, how much do you think when it comes to the content that especially younger people watch, how much is the dog wagging the tail as opposed to the tail wagging the dog, if you understand the reference? Like, how much is it the influence that, let's say, studios, advertising, whatever is considered to be the cultural zeitgeist today, how much does that determine the tastes of the new generation as opposed to coming from within, you know, a lot of internet culture, a lot of things that organically start to prop up. So I know, Pat, if you want to take this uh, first, uh, go ahead. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure what the question is, but I do know that uh, I'm not, and this is no offense to creators on network shows or anything, but I don't really like what's produced out there. Um, and, and Hans, of course, you are excluded from that. Uh, no, I mean, even if you hate it, I don't care. <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Everyone's got their opinion. But I, I just, you know, I, I turn on every now and then. I look at what's being produced. And there, there's nothing really to me that is, sure, it, it's it's okay. Like, every now and then I'll be like, I don't know. It's pretty cool. But then I go, I turn indie, and I see something original. And it could be something that has 100 views on YouTube. And I'm like, geez, that's that's sweet. That is like, that's dynamite. That is, that is really cool. And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that that's the future, but it's the future I would like to see. The future I would like to see is, is really a lack of network shows. I would like to see uh, thousands of independent creators making their own content. Uh, yeah. if, it's with, if it's with a crew, fine. That's great. But if it, you know, my style is more on my own. I would like to see that. And um, it, it is happening in a certain way. Although the funny thing is, is the people that are involved in the studios and networks, they seem to not be able to even talk about YouTube. It's very strange. It's almost like, like I, I've been, I go to Annecy every year, except this year I didn't go. And they, I, I don't even think I've heard the word YouTube 
muttered at Annecy. And here it is, is, is a, a force of many people making a living and creating incredible content. And for some reason, the mainstream industry, for lack of a better term, the mainstream industry yeah, completely, yeah. completely ignores its existence. Uh, they say they, when you say YouTube, they go, Oh, you mean where they put crazy cat videos, you know, or, or, no. you know, the fail yeah. videos. That's actually what they think of YouTube is about 15 mm. years. Late. Well, well, that's kind of what I mean by the, Hey, fellow kids yeah. way of going about it. It doesn't yeah. feel like they're fully ingrained. They're in bubbling gone. themselves out of it. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but as they should, because why mm. it's not in their interest to at all. Support ah, no, YouTube. but that's my argument or that's my proposal. Mm. Right. Is that. Very, very recently, what we experienced with Smiling Friends and, and all that is like what I'm trying to say about the garage band thing is like they should be sponsoring independent efforts more, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of the model that it's like I do think it's getting to a point because I agree with you what you're saying that it's like the best stuff is on YouTube, right? And the worst stuff, basically the getting cornered. <laughs> and the worst, no, no, sure. It's a very wide genome. No, it, right, it's, right. yeah, because it's literally everything, right? But what I'm trying to say is, they should be taking notes from that, right? Is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I think the the industry is getting to a point where they're getting cornered into doing it, you know? Or they should just keep doing what they're doing, and and supplying stuff to the portion of the population that wants that, right? And then. YouTube will keep doing what it's doing, but I, I think that as the years go on, you'll you'll see a distinct advantage in the uh, independent creator. Mm. Oh uh, yeah, we just have to get on top of the earning thing, mm. which is yep. pretty lame. But that's uh, what I'm but, trying to say, right? So imagine you put yourself out on the internet independently, mm. and then imagine like the studio systems that used to program for TV. Now that we have streaming services, it's kind of like you know, like in the old in the Renaissance, the Vatican would like sponsor artists, right? So like Da Vinci and, you know, all these artists and Michelangelo and all like, it's like, it's like what the studio needs to do is sponsor independent artists and let them just do what they do. But here's some money, you know, so we could put it on our streaming service, you know, it's kind of like that. So you can make your own thing on YouTube and then you can, of course, the offer can come and you can take it or leave it. But studios should be kind of like scouting in that area and being more hands off and just like sponsoring like helping like an artist continue to do what they do you know mm. does that make sense like it makes like, sense and I, mm. I hate to sound cynical but it'll no, just never right. happen mm. <laughs> it'll just never mm. happen I, mm. I it just um I mean, actually that's not true there's some pretty cool stuff what's uh what's hisco holsing's show on netflix that's pretty cool the sorry uh, hisco holsing uh oh hisco i didn't know he had a show yeah that's he's amazing. got a show that's awesome it's this Rotoscoped masterpiece. Um, Ooh. I, I wish I, I, I'm really doing him a, him a disservice. <laughs> not the name Shout out to Hisco. Yeah. Patrick's I mean, he's your one of biggest my favorite fan. animators. No, but, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying it's only just starting. We're starting to, like the sun, mm -hmm. the sunrise is starting to peak over mm -hmm. the horizon. And well, I do, like that's an example, you know? Well, speaking right. of, uh, speaking of saying, more of that, please. <laughs> well, speaking yeah. of uh, the rising sun, what I'm also curious about is the relationship between, let's say, anime, for example. And I don't mean like independent animation in Japan. I mean strictly studio-produced, mass-produced anime, where it seems like a lot of Western audiences go into anime instead of as much Western animation. And one of the reasons why I've been told that this is happening, which I could kind of understand, 
is because in anime, the kind of lessons that you could say they teach what the characters go through, it feels like there are real stakes and there are certain things that the characters have to go through where they prove themselves. And it could be from something as simple as like a cooking show. Like it could be very niche. Right. But there is I, I this, know what you're talking about. Yeah, but there is this <laughs> emphasis as opposed to, and I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but there seems to be at least in mainstream animation circle especially for little kids more of a focus on just like you're good just the way you are and self-care and things of that nature but something right. seems to be missing it doesn't seem like there is as much of an emphasis cultural on difference growth. there in in japan um they don't really have a huge film industry you know but they have a big animation industry i think japan just treats animation like their film industry where you could like they just tell any story with animation and in the western world for some reason we've kind of confined ourselves with animation at least in, like in the mainstream level where it has animation equals this kind of thing and it's like in japan i think they just you can have a horror animation uh, you can have a horror animation you can have a drama you can have a romantic comedy like they just like in, in japan culturally they just and maybe mm. it's because of their manga history since mm. they're used to reading any kind of story through the through the lens of an illustration Maybe that created like a natural growth, you know, mm. into that, into animation and, you know, in their history. Right. But for some reason, culturally, they just animation is literally just a, 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 a medium. Uh, but they, they, could, they, they, they just believe they could tell any story. And I think mm. we've been slowly breaking that mold because of Western's fascination with uh, like I was watching that show Primal. The have you oh, heard Gandhi have Tartakovsky. You seen, yeah. You know, Gandhi Tartakovsky, Patrick? He yeah, did, like, I went, to, right I went to a barbecue at his house once. No Outside of that, I actually don't even know his work. I've never seen him. He made like, Samurai Jack. He made yeah, uh, yeah. Dexter's Laboratory. Well, Adult Swim like financed this like I almost call it, it's almost like his like magnum opus. It's like his uh, it's like it's almost like like you know when you watch Fantasia and it's just beautiful and it's just artistic and it's just like moving. You know, he made this show about this like caveman in this prehistoric world, and and it's just like it's adult. I mean, it's brutal. And it's, it's just like this, it's called primal. And it's just this like brutal, savage, simple story, very artistic, very beautiful. And to me, it's kind of tapping into that thing you're talking about, uh, about anime, where it's just like, it just is what it is. And it doesn't have to fit the form of a cartoon or whatever, you know, of whatever mm. the Western world thinks a cartoon well, should be. What's also interesting with anime is that even if they have distinctions where they would, for example, have for older men it would be called seinen if i'm saying that right and then they would have for young girls that would be shoujo and they would have shonen which was for uh, young you know like uh, young boys and they are different even in the style like even if there are like styles within styles it's very interesting and pat like i don't know what your experience have been talking to people in japan like if you ever brought these kind of things up but i am very curious as to why the style the actual art style of the mangas that are for girls have a very similar kind of look to them the way that the characters are and for boys it has a very different look so i don't know like it's a very interesting phenomenon to look at like how these things are very uh different but i know pat like any any thoughts on that from uh, your experience well you know I, honestly um i should know this but i don't really uh i mean it's such a it's such a huge tradition with so many facets that um, as a as a Westerner who doesn't even speak the language over there, I, I can't really chime in. Other than the fact that uh, animation is mainstream there, it's it's mainstream culture. It's not looked at like like for example in the states, it's 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 regarded as a Jesus, even regarded as a 
a freaking genre here. You know, it's not even it's not. Yeah. Even wait, it wait, what happened with so, the Oscars recently when it came to animation? I heard some something bad happened there. Really? What happened? Yeah, I uh, I really was disappointed with with Ampus this year. They um, they just kind of backseated a few categories. Honestly, the animation category, it's not a big shock that they backseated that. The big one was like uh, musical score, best musical score was a pre-recorded acceptance of the award, which was a real, real harsh reality. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm a I'm an Ampus member, but uh, this year I found it very difficult to vote. Uh, I was really pretty uh, put off by that. Hopefully they'll come to their senses. Mm. Wait, so to be clear, when you say that you're a member of the Academy, the Academy yes. of uh, Motion Pictures, yeah. that's uh, that, that's pretty awesome, by the way. But uh, getting back to the animations, I wanted to speak about uh, your animation, Patrick, the uh, poor series. And without having to reveal everything in the shorts, because, uh, listen, for all the people who are watching who have not seen uh, Patrick's in this animation, uh, let alone the poor series, go and watch it right now. But that g goes without saying... What exactly would you say brought you to making these in the first place? And how would you say this liquid that is poured in and out of these various creatures, what would you say would symbolize for you? Because I see it being used for both good and uh, ill. Well, I'll, I'll give you a spoiler for every one of my films. Is There's a power struggle, and then it flips, and it starts over again. That. That's every one of my films, and it, it's by design. It's not. It's not um, by accident that I've done that because I love the idea of uh, power differentials. It's. It's to me. It's so fascinating. I'm a huge uh, Orwell fan. I'm a huge Huxley fan. Me too. And and these are these are they they to me in my mind similar to uh, Lev's insane visions. Uh, <laughs> Huxley Huxley in particular. Uh, he spawns a lot of. Uh, imagery to me, mostly metaphorical images, and the poor series is one of those. It's an obvious metaphor. It's not, I, you know, I don't make cryptic films. These are it's pretty obvious. It's 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 a it's it's a clearly delivered. You know. Well, thank it's, you. That, that's yeah. what I was going for. Yeah, no, I appreciate that because it's easy to get lost in the kind of ambiguity. But I like that you you start with abstract, but you deliver something very clear, and I think that's what makes like a. A good good art, you know, is like well, how I mean, well deliberate it is. The big know? secret, the big secret about abstraction and things that are a little weird is that the person making them doesn't understand what they're about. Uh, I think that's. Hmm. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but that to me, that's what it looks like. It looks like bullshit, and yeah. and you 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 know bullshit when you see it. Yeah. And uh, I I hate that, I, and I never want to be cryptic. Matter of fact, it really bothers me when someone doesn't understand the point of one of my films. Yeah, that's, because that's I feel like that's our job as as an artist is yes. to present something. Now you can be clever you that you figured out. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You yeah. can be clever, and you can be yeah. metaphorical, and you can exactly. be mysterious. But being cryptic is just lazy. So, yeah, you're asking the audience to do the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, well, you know? well said, well yeah. said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's mm -hmm. like, ah, fuck off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, really quick, can I recommend a yeah. book that's in between uh, uh, Brave New World and uh, 1984? Sure. It's a book called One by David Karp. I don't know if you read it. It's a short no. book, but I think it's the missing triad of those two angles because, you know, uh, Orwell is all about oppressive order, and the and Huxley's all about like self, self like giving yourself up yeah. like for pleasure, mm -hmm. like it's tyranny through pleasure. But you gotta read. I don't want to say anything about it because I want you to read it. It's it's a short read, but it's really good. David Carp with a K. Yeah. 
Okay. It's called One. I, you I know, now that you said, I'm going to check out this book. Now that yeah. you said that, though, it's really funny because this is why I lean more Huxley. I mean, yeah. uh, don't get me wrong. Animal Farm is brilliant in oh, every yeah, yeah. freaking way. But Huxley it has this self-enslavement idea, which I always try to address because I really do think that, you know, this is – that we are the enemy. And we are also the hero. And we have it all in, inside of us. And I think even starting from my first film, Drink, which was very, I think it was very naive and un, undeveloped. But at the, the, the crux of it was expressing the fact that there's a lot of different stuff inside of one person. And yeah. I think even as a young animator, I, that's something I wanted to portray uh, yeah. metaphorically. And, uh, and I think Huxley tackles that way better than Orwell. Although now... Orwell is back with this crazy world we live in, and you realize yeah. that that oh wait, it's it's not a Huxleyan world like we it's thought. both. <laughs> it's both. It's freaking yeah. both. And, and that was is, it. Truth is, all the dystopias were true. <laughs> to, well, particularly those two authors. I mean, like, have you seen the movie Brazil? Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gilliam is one of my heroes. You, we but, live in Brazil. Yeah. We live in this world. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I actually, um, I think what the difference between Huxley and Orwell have is Orwell predicted World War II, right? Like the mm. Nazis and the Soviets. like Because he wrote that before, right? Where, like He was like seeing all the, the communist uprisings and the fascists and all that. So he kind of predicted the, the, the heart. With 1984, he predicted the harsh order mm. of things, right? And I think Huxley was predicting post World War II dystopia. Like, okay, yeah, you're totally you're, right. You're yeah. totally right. Huxley, Huxley just basically grabbed the baton and kept running because yeah. Huxley incorporates technology and all that stuff with yeah. all the Orwellian crazy shit. So, like, mm-hmm. and, and to me, that it's, it's a it, they form a perfect uh, 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 yeah. combination. Uh, uh, and then you'll see diet. what I mean when you read one. Yeah. You'll see what I mean where it's like the missing piece in the middle you know yeah because you'll see what angle that tackles it um uh but um i bet lev has a lot to say about this <laughs> yes uh go on well there's a question of uh human freedom and what it means to be free where usually people think of freedom meaning that i can do whatever i want but when you allow yourself to do whatever you want which you can enslave may- yourself yes your worst habits exactly enslave yourself through desire so this may be what's going on right now where people have access to the mirror of narcissism which is social media reinforcing whatever it is they do and getting stuck in these kind of cycles and that's kind of why i also brought up the question of is the tail wagging the dog when it comes to the media that people consume where if you're sensible you can say, I am going to make whatever it is going to be the most interesting, the most exciting, the most inspirational content uh, as a producer, as a studio head. This is the stuff that I want to put out there because people are going to love it. But at a certain point, though, how much are all people to a certain extent stuck inside of this self-referential loop where whatever it is that they think is the right thing to put on has nothing really to do with quality. It just has to do with whatever it is that's mirrored back to them. And eventually, what is society going to look like where the only things that people have to reference are the things that they already know? Kind of like being stuck in a Plato's cave over and over and over again. Nice. So that's what I have to say about that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, and that's, we're kind of, we're going to find out what's, what that's going to lead to, you know, that's the thing about the world too, is like, as much as we can kind of like sound alarms, it's like, 
there is a point where it's like, well, I guess it's got to be played out, you know, <laughs> like we, we, some, we, we, most of the time, uh, we learn things the hard way <laughs> throughout history, mm. you know, like I mean, you can go back to the Manhattan project or should we do this? Should we do that? Well, we're going to find yeah. out, you know, like, or the, so that, uh, or the yeah. Montauk experiment. I mean, speaking of, uh, Montauk. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that, that was what stranger things is based on. Exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. The original name of stranger things was called Montauk. And it's based really? on all the weird shit that has happened in Montauk, which is pretty expensive. Wow. <laughs> real, real quick about your poor animation, the one where they're like oh, yeah. punching themselves in the face. Oh, um, the new one. That's uh, the, yeah. I just finished that last week. That that was great, man. I, uh, that's, the, that's the last one I watched. Yeah. So, uh, that uh, was but, the most complicated one for me to make because it didn't have yeah. as clear of a metaphor as the others. Okay, can I tell yeah. you what at least the impression I got sure. out of it? Um, the impression I got is like basically – don't let them use you. Make yourself unusable to their yes. game. Make right? them lose interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, uh, even if it hurts to break out of that, like that game, you know, like that. Well, little, there's also yeah. so, so there's yeah. this. That's what I got out of it, but I like that it's. Yeah. The it's, the impetus the impetus of this idea. So in Bali, there's something called the puppy ton, which mm-hmm. in the 1950s or I can't remember 60s uh, when the Dutch invaded. Mm-hmm. The Balinese rajas, they, they, they registered that they couldn't win the battle. I mean, you know, with right. knives and uh, compared to guns. So they, they decreed a uh, paputan, which is basically the entire island commit suicide. Oh, wow. And it happened. Matter of fact, there was a few paputans on Bali. And the, the most famous one is, is the Dutch, the Dutch invasion. And the Dutch arrived and everyone was dead. It, and wow. it's, a pretty, it's a pretty radical uh, mm. revolution. Mm-hmm. And to me, especially as someone who uh, studies religion, particularly, uh, particularly the 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 connection between Eastern and Western religions, this idea of uh, suffering is throughout everything, and it really was meaningful to me personally. And I was like, "That's I want to express that somehow." Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I loosely succeeded. I don't know if I did it. It, it ended up being a more of a typical, you know, uh, cyclical story, but that's kind of what I was going for. Matter of fact, even in the description, I did write a puppy, puppy ton type revolution, which I don't think, I think maybe three people mm. recognize. Oh, <laughs> but, I, I, I learned something today. No, I, yeah. and, and I, the fact that it's like, in the case of your, the cartoons are not, it's not like suicide, but it's like, make yourself un mm. like make it so that they can't use you like pour into you. Like, you know, yeah. uh, it's sort of like, even if it means like, sort of rearranging yourself right like um it's it's uh it's i like it it's kind of this become ungovernable kind of (laughs) kind of spirit you know but in in the in the whatever game you know that you might find yourself be and then as a there's another flip side to this as an animator uh sometimes i just i just want to make some i just want to make cool shit you know i just i I love breaking glass and recording it it's one of my pastimes now Uh, hell yeah yeah and it's just like sometimes yourself oh yeah i do i I love doing foley foley is like my one of my favorite things i I actually i like it better than animation and but that that, that sometimes that punch that happens with with animation with the the visual image and coinciding with the audio it, it has this like visceral like punch i love it i'm addicted to it so most of my films will have that element and i don't know what that is 
hopefully it serves the story but oh yeah no no, yeah. no i i get you dude uh in the live action thing i made all of it is uh we didn't record sound on set we did the foley all afterward yeah all of it and it was so satisfying like i do actually yeah. agree like i love foley yeah. um because there's a lot of like, physical comedy so there's lots of tumbling and you know falling and hitting impacts and you know and that there is something very therapeutic about it you know and also foley will like totally save bad animation oh yeah well it's, <laughs> it's amazing is, i think what sound does is it adds the third dimension yeah, yeah. you know it gives it a depth you know yeah. it's like if you're watching something on a 2d screen it that's what gives it like the it's there you 100%. know yeah. yeah so that's i think i actually recommend more animators to make their own sounds rather than using stock sounds because it, first of all, it gives your the thing you're making its own identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, yeah, it really enriches it. Uh, that's something we really did talk a lot about in Smiling Friends is is the sound design, like making it so that you feel like you're in the room versus those kind of you know, like in the case of like a like where there's like a scenario and you, you believe that the the like everything is there, the room tone, you know, it's. It, Sound mixing is actually it sound sound foley and sound mixing is a fun place to work in. And if uh, if you're not and you're an animator, I recommend you try playing playing around in it. You you might definitely probably the best uh, probably the best foley job of all time must have been to the foley artist of Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job! I don't know if you guys <laughs> really? ever saw that series, but it's kind of a disgusting series. Like it has all these various. Uh, you know, scatological elements to it as far as these fake products that they produce. But it's very brilliant in its own way, which it's very difficult for me to say. You just have to see it so you understand what I mean. But uh, also, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this particular short called uh, iPad Goat 2. You guys must have uh, seen this at a certain point, but this guy over here, he kind of reminds me of the cracked glass characters from uh, patrick's uh, poor series there's a similar thing going uh, on here looks, in the face looks insane yeah. yeah i mean this short Sweet. itself is very interesting like it's got george w bush over here in the dunce cap and it's uh is that w bush that's w yeah okay is, is, is that like when he was like reading the storybook to kids and then yeah exactly <laughs> my my pet goat so it's an interesting it's an interesting series uh, i mean not series it's an interesting short because a lot of people draw various conclusions like this short predicts what's happening right now and like this thing means this thing that we're experiencing this year and there's no way for me to know whether or not that's the case. It is, like, Pat, you were talking about cryptic. This short is the definition of cryptic as far as all these various things that they put in there and people kind of draw their conclusions from that. But what I wanted to get back to, though, was a very interesting thing that you pointed out uh, with the uh, tribes that uh, decided to do, to do themselves in rather than be uh, taken uh, capt- uh, captured. I, it's interesting to compare that to what was going on in World War II with the Japanese army, because from what I understand, they did not take prisoners. And mm-hmm. it just, it wasn't, I don't think it was a matter of good or evil. I think it was a matter of, like, if you were a warrior society, it's it doesn't factor in. Like, how how could taking a prisoner even exist? How would you well, even not only be able that, to give yourself up? They're also up? a small island versus a very big landmass. So, right? It's kind of, I think they had to probably... Uh, be more reductive they, they wouldn't have the room to imprison you know yeah, yeah i mean there is a practical Brutal. thing too and it's uh, it's not great but mm. the reason why i bring this up is 
what I'm curious about is we have like Eastern and Western ideas seeing reality where the Eastern, you could say that mm. you do have all of these things that come together. Like in Buddhism, you would have various Buddhas, but you would also have various demonic entities as well. By demonic, I don't even mean like, you know, like Satan. I mean more no, like... No, no, monsters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like these monsters of the underworld. And you would also have in, uh, you would also have in uh, the Japanese... Uh, Zen Buddhism and in Shinto you would have Onis you would have these various entities that would be the spirits of rivers like in Miyazaki Spirit Away for instance and a and lot you, of them are very like uh, mischievous you know <laughs> yes exactly kind of like the yeah. fairies kind of like yeah. the fairies in the European folklore and it's kind of more that category of exactly. entity you know but there is a weird thing that kind of gets to me where I think about the difference between Eastern and Western religion and civilization I'm curious what you guys think of this where it seems like the Eastern traditions, it goes in a cycle where you are born and then you die and you may reincarnate into this different form depending on your karma. But there doesn't seem to be a particular, let's say, mission for humanity in general, where we could say this is kind of not fully Western. We could say that this is partly from Zoroastrianism, what uh, the uh, uh, Hebrews ended up taking into their religion, probably during the time of the uh, Babylonian exile. The idea of there being this tumultuous revelation apocalypse time where everything is revealed, and at that time, people would go into this new state. Are you and talking about kind of... Um... Uh, like the final chapter of the Bible, like the revelations? yeah, revel yeah, yeah, revelations. But okay. also, we have that in Zoroastrianism. We have that gotcha. in Islam. We have that in all these. Uh, other than Zoroastrianism, we would have these in the Abrahamic faiths. So I'm I curious. See. Yeah, like I'm curious. Like Patrick, from what you were, and you're a fan of uh, history, and you're a fan of religion. From what you were able to gather, what do you personally lean on more as far as? what humanity is going to be in for is it a matter of there being cycles within cycles within cycles golden ages silver ages dark ages repeating ad nauseum or is there a particular trajectory where humanity especially i think in the west has been able to see itself for a second kind of like a director looking at the play as opposed to just being the actor in the play as far as judging itself as far as like maybe we should be more fair to people maybe we should allow there to be these reforms done in our society like this is a very rare thing in humanity we've never really experienced that kind of uh, change so rapidly so maybe it's going into a certain trajectory but i don't know that's all i gotta say pat uh, let me know what you think <laughs> Uh, there's a lot Throwing to unpack the... there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, my, my experience with, with Eastern culture is um, their, for, their, their uh, folklore is, is incredible. It, it, yeah. it's, it's, historically, it's just so rich. And, but at the end of the day, I, I do think that there are similarities uh, with in, anywhere else. Um, and it's hard to really imagine any type of real path to whatever you would call success you know i i think in, in the end it doesn't matter we all die and i know that's a horrible way to look at it but it's nothing to be afraid of it's actually you know if, if the end is the beginning then it doesn't really matter so in that light it kind of gives you this very humble way to approach everything you can be like all right well i'm gonna die mm -hmm. let's see what i can do and and you inevitably look at yourself inevitably 
and I think a lot of these, well, I'm speaking for Japanese folklore. Uh, Japanese folklore focuses on the self and, 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 and what you can actually control. And I think that's something that I wish would seep over to the Western world is this idea that it starts with you and yeah. it doesn't start with you telling someone else to do something. It, it's a, it actually starts with you doing something. And why don't you leave that other person out of it? Yeah. Because I they do. don't really matter. Um, so, it, but it's, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult philosophy because the minute you, you come into a situation where that person is affecting you directly, that it shatters all that. And all of a sudden you're like, well, what do you do in that situation? So I don't know. Your question was too big for me. Um, I will say this about, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll add to what Patrick just said about the, we all die. Like I've, I've also, um, I've thought about that and it's like, I actually think immortality is terrifying. Um, like for there to be no end. It's like, I, that's the reason why I can't get into TV shows like long, like kind of those ongoing series. Cause I like endings, you know, like the idea of like, there's forever and it will never end. It's, I also thought about this where it's like, if we were to kind of figure out immortality and no, you know, we'd live forever. I feel like nothing would ever be done because you'd always have tomorrow. Hmm. I think it would just, we would be, we'd procrastinate so much. You know? well, I'll, <laughs> so I'll take it a step think, further. I'll take it a step I, further. I, Not I, so it, uh, okay, I just on. say like, yeah. it's, it's healthy to have due dates, you know, in your mind, you know, because, because it helps focus your efforts, you know? So on the ultimate due date of death, it's like knowing that it's going to end, it, it kind of helps you go, all right, well, like, what do I want to do tomorrow? Or what do I want to do today? Or what do I want to, you know, it helps like kind of a budget or efforts in a way, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it's healthy to have an ending, you know? Well, you're and, talking um, about immortality. Well, you're talking about immortality in the sense of technology coming in to extend our lifespan. What if we were thinking about it in a different way? What if we thought about immortality and that we are already aspects of God, we are already aspects of the divine, and we can do anything we want? At that point, everything just falls apart. Because if you can do everything possible, if you could do anything you want... If you could do everything you want, and everything is possible, and you're like this energy God being, you've already done everything. Yeah. Exactly. The moment so, you are that, you've already done it all. Done, you know? <laughs> if anything, my theory is like if there is a God, he probably created us because he's bored because he already knows everything. And he created these like limited, uh, uh, very surprising beings to watch or something. <laughs> like if anything, that's just like one possible theory. Mm. You know, like he made us because he was bored. He's like, well, let me make, let's see what happens with the, when you put limitations on stuff, you know? Exactly. <laughs> But that's what gets really interesting. I even feel that to wrap it to the mm -hmm. to, to put tie it back to the uh, the art, artistic creative part. It's like I do believe limitations exercise creativity. You know, well, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I love about D and the artist is like, okay, what can I do with this? You know, that's what I think sparks the most. Like, all right, I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. If I do this, you know, like it creates the most creative thought processes when you yeah. have like a huge budget and everything is limitless and i'm just gonna you know like or whatever like put this up you know like it's you you kind of well, when everything's possible what do you do it, it 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 creates this sort of writer's block sometimes when you have no limitations you know mm. So. It's like that uh, Twilight Zone episode of the guy who was playing pool and he thought that he was in, uh, no, not pool, he was gambling and he thought that he was in heaven because when he was gambling, he was winning all the time and he got all the girls he wanted, everything. Right. And at that point, he ended up figuring out that he, he's actually in hell. In hell. 
Yeah, I love the Twilight Zone, dude. That's my favorite show of all time, I think. <laughs> Definitely. Patrick. You know, as, as artists, we live with this very obvious limitation. Mm -hmm. This is a little more grounded than what you guys were just saying. Yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, our, back down, though. yeah our obvious limitation is our ability. And, and I, I have to say I agree with you because my lack of ability actually has led to a lot of my success. So it, it's a strange thing to say, but I've never been able to draw how I want, ever. I've always been frustrated and just, just constantly with, with, with the hands, especially right. Was that a big well, thing? Well, now for I the love hands? hands, but that's after twenty years of drawing your hands, hands the way you draw them. Uh. God, I hated hands. Uh, <laughs> I, I could show you sketchbooks from the late nineties of literally a thousand hands. Wow! Because I was so annoyed that I could not draw hands. And uh, I still struggle every now and then with a hand, but God, I love. I think you're so now, fucking you, expressive. Now because, you know? because of that, now you draw hands yeah. in your way, like which is well, I love your hands, like the. the well, also they can get you out of they can get you out of trouble. That's uh, true. Uh, if you're if you're struggling with with a, a layout or some type of sequence or acting, just throw a hand in there. Yeah, you yeah, know, it works every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah. so yeah, it, it, so anyway, that was a product of a limitation. Um, the other product of limitation is, for example, I've never been very good at the dynamic storytelling approach, like the the, the Hollywood approach, uh, for lack of a better term. Like, mm. that, that, you know, all this, this beautiful backgrounds that I can't draw, you know, like right. and all this. So I've always kept it very flat and simple. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had this when I taught, I used to say this thing. I said, uh, uh, if you can't figure it out, flatten it out. And like, like and, and everything becomes clear when you flatten things out. And I found that I, I, I just enjoy working flatter better. I think it's more clear and all that. But then I see someone's film and I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I could draw like that. Yeah. Because, but but I can't. You know. So it, it forces you to go where your ability is, which I think is one of the larger mistakes a young artist can make is to go somewhere where they can't do it. Right. Like there's a there's a comfort zone. There's like you, you go to your comfort zone and go slightly above it. And that's where you should make a film, you know, yeah. don't go, don't go above that because you'll, you, you can't do Miyazaki. You just can't. It's, no. And also it's like, you know, yeah, it's like, you don't want to hit a brick wall. You want to stay yeah. creative, right? Yeah. So yeah, you want this, to, this yourself, relates. you want to challenge oh, yourself, but as long as the efforts, oh, that's awesome. Ooh. As long as the efforts are leading back to creativity, yeah. meaning you're making something, yeah. you don't want to hit a brick wall and then get so disillusioned that you're not making anything. Yeah. You know, challenge yourself, but don't paralyze yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what's funny is, it's like uh, it, we spend we spend our our careers, and most of us we spend our careers listening to these uber talented people, but uber talented people actually have nothing to add because they're mm -hmm. so good that they actually don't understand what it's like being a normal artist. Right? They're so good. It's like, what is it like to wake up? And be who's the primal guy? Uh, the, the oh, Gendy Gendy. Gendy. What's it like being able to do what he does? I don't know. I can't ever relate to that. And, and the crazy thing is, is a very very small percentage of us are going to be able to do that. So, right. I I like to retreat back to, uh, and this is a fact: is I'm a very normal, talented artist. I'm not this brilliant person, but I was able to identify what I can do. And this, I'm going to circle back to your Flip comment your about limitations. And, and I think it's a, it's a strength is identifying those limitations and working within those bounds is a, is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. 
By the way, I found this Easter egg inside of the uh, Spirited Away book, which I had no idea was in here. Look at this. This is probably from the late 1800s or early 1900s, if you could believe it. Like this is Why a whole... is that in that book? <laughs> I have no idea. I think wow. my, da my dad must have put this in the book. And I want to be careful with these pages, but just look at wow. these styles. I mean, I'm lucky I have this camera here so I could actually zoom in and show you guys this. Oh, cool. So look at this. Look wow. at the style of dress over here that this lady is wearing. That's an illustration, too. Yes. I, I mean, uh, speaking of illustrations, people dude. put in so much quality and talent into this. I mean, just like for some just for some women's magazine, you know? Like, mm -hmm. this is this is next-level stuff. And this is also why I think a lot of people may be blackpilled today. Like, Pat, since uh, you're not in New York City anymore, but when you were in New York City, you remember going around all these old buildings with the columns and the moldings and all that. When I went around one time just looking, I came to this uh, sense almost of dread that these are so well done and all the stuff that's now being done, at least in architecture, it's just like a pale comparison to what that was. And it's almost like, wait a minute, did all the most talented people die like after world war one and then world war two and like the inheritors of the earth right now do we have what it takes do we have what it takes to keep this order to create something as as beautiful and magnificent not just in personal projects but in society you know and like the things that people see every day i actually think the reason why buildings look like shit now is partially due to the lack of religion <laughs> Well, like, yeah, I, I think when you maybe. when you live in a world where you believe that there's something greater than you, you're gonna put a different kind of effort. You're gonna build things to last. You're gonna you're gonna put a little more. And then, as we become more more uh, like as we've drifted from tapping into that cosmic um, connection, you know, we've just built things like more mass produced, more uh, less to last, and more for the for the moment for more in the present you know um and i'm not even saying like we should all be christian again it's just like just losing that connection with the divine cosmic you know whatever that is out there when when you start to see when when you when you make something and believe that there are things that are greater than you out there you, i feel like you shoot a little higher you know as far as like the architecture goes right it's like, okay we're this is a building it's going to stand here I want to stand forever, right? Because if you believe in something like that is that infinite, you know, you're going to have more of a sense of what I leave behind. I want to last as long, like be timeless and last longer, you know? And I just think that's more of a cultural shift. I know I'm using the religious like starting point, but it's like a cultural shift into the, uh, the more disposable and the present and the now and, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I think that, that and, it, and also, and it also of, goes back connection. And it also goes back to the question of whether that kind of uh, quality comes by from pressure. If you are trying to survive, and, you know, there's, like, trying to survive on a desert island, but then there's also trying to survive in creating some kind of a society where people try to get along. We're not exactly sure how the next day or next year is going to work out. Maybe there's something to that pressure that, I mean, who knows right now with the way things are going economically, how that's going to reflect on people. But I don't know, there, there may be something to that idea that if you don't have these limitations, you're not going to be able to grow and you're not going to value as much the things that you have. You'll start taking them for granted. You'll start taking all this mm -hmm. technology around you for granted.
so, so, something that I take personally when I work on something is, um, and this is just me, okay? I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, or I'm not giving like a fucking, you know? But it's like I do, and maybe it comes from my Catholic upbringing, but it's like with the whole like what I was saying about like there's there's a greater something greater out there. When I work on a project, I'm more asking myself the question of what does it need from me, right? Like, what do I need to give this thing? It's like, I'm building this thing outside of myself. And like, I'm always asking like, what does it need in relation to what I can give it? And then how it could be like how people can see it and, and take it, you know? Obviously there are some projects that I just do for myself because it made me laugh or whatever, you know? But in the bigger stuff, I try to like, I try to tap into that. Like, what does it need? And maybe that's maybe that's what they're thinking when they make those pretty buildings, you know, in the old days. It's like, mm. what is this thing outside of myself that will outlive me? What does it need? You know, like this building's gonna be standing after I'm finished and I die. This thing will hopefully be standing like long after I'm dead, you know? And so I, I think about that, especially in, like now that you know it's not like we're living in a world where you can make a little piece of art in your basement and then like it just disappears when the house is sold after you die. You can like upload something. Like that. It's like, this thing will be on here for maybe like 20 years from now, somebody will run into it. It's like, I try to make stuff where it's like, okay, I hope it, I hope it lasts, you know, like I try to tap into some universal timelessness to some degree, you know, I want it to be funny or interesting, no matter what time it's watched. You know, I try to, I try to, I try to tap into that as much as I can. You know, sometimes you know? I think that that, that that well you you tied it to architecture but and i actually just noticed one of the questions on the chat but i didn't really think i i related it is there there's a certain means of, of production that is necessary for example if you mm -hmm. create some cathedral it's not mm -hmm. like you can make a cathedral at home so there was obviously back then there was a mechanism of production that doesn't exist now uh, like I don't, I don't i don't as far as i know cathedrals aren't being built anymore if i'm wrong not in the gothic right. architecture right. sense, okay. no. So yeah. not in that classic, because it would just be, it would, it's, it's, it'd be ridiculous. The, the cost would be uh, absorbent. Mm. So, so there's, there, a, there's a question about that, though, but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll get yeah, to that yeah. later. Yeah. Well, I was just going to start, I was yeah. going to connect that with uh, animation, God forbid. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So th this, this comes back to what we were talking about before, is, is a lot has changed in the last 20 years. The means of production has come back to the individual. Um, if even when I was started making films, it was a lot harder to make a film than it is yeah. now. Uh, mostly technology, but also just the availability of techniques. The, you can you can teach yourself animation now, for example. Whereas twenty years ago, uh, there, at MTV, we used to Xerox all the Disney notes. It would leak in by somebody, and, and it would be like a six generation Xerox of like techniques and stuff. And it, these were like golden Bibles and stuff. Now, of course, that is just disseminated freely, you know, mm -hmm. on, the, on the internet. Um, and I'm getting to this, this thing that I think it was, uh, I can't remember who asked for it on the chat gamer addict who I recognize from my own comments on my page. Oh, that, see, chat. see the community tab worked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> so he, he was talking about concept and I think this relates to concept because I think there's a lot of people with incredible ideas of cathedrals, but the funny thing is, is the, the conception of a cathedral is the easy part. Hi, sweetie. Aw. No. That's my daughter. Um, the, the conception of the cathedral is the easy part. The conception of a film is the easy part. The conception of a feature film, that is, um, it, it's easy. Uh, ideas are dime a dozen. And uh, the, the part that is difficult and the part that really separates uh, the producers from the dreamers, say, 
is your ability to create it. Right. And uh, I would say to answer, um, again, I forgot, uh, a gamer addict's question is that, that you have all these great ideas, awesome, but now you actually have to figure out a way to produce it. You have to figure out a way to make the cathedral. Yep. And that is the hardest part. And I, uh, I think it was Steve Jobs who said that real artists deliver. Mm -hmm. and, and that's true. Real artists don't dream. They deliver. They actually make a product. Yep. And yeah, that, that's one of the hardest parts for an animator because it's a big production. You know, it's, it, it's hard. It's to a, it's a puzzle. Around. It's a puzzle. Yeah. And, you ha and, and you also have puzzle. to like, it, it's a, it's a puzzle that you're designing the solution of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, uh, and that, to, the, yeah. to the question, by the way, there was a asked or comment. Can I just add sure. something? That's why, to tie back what you said, Patrick, work within your capabilities. Like, yes, it'll be a know? lot easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you'll be solving, you'll be learning yeah. to solve puzzles that you can solve. And that, that becomes more rewarding personally. Like, yes. oh, I did it. You know, it's mm -hmm. out. It's, it exists. It exists. It's no longer a dream. It's right yeah. there. In front Definitely. of me, you know, and you know, I, I get a lot of people, especially one of my closest colleagues, Signa Bauman, who oh, knows very congratulations well. to Signa, yeah, by the way, she a uh, winner at Annecy. That was cool, awesome. Signa, um, she every time I see her, she's like, you know, where's your feature film? Where's your feature with it? And I've come to the conclusion that I'm not capable of making a feature. And uh, I, I, of course I could try, but I, I, I weigh things and who knows what's in the future. But as of now, I've actually identified it as something I'm, I don't have the skill set for. And if I did make it, it would suck. Hmm. So what do you do there? That, that, that relates to what we're talking about is, is that's a huge limitation. I'm, I'm not willing to do it. And then I go to shorts. I was like, you know what? I can make shorts. So I, it's maybe I'll, maybe the Bill Plimpton model of making his first film, The Tune, was a series of shorts and he made a feature out of it. Maybe that's more logical for someone trying to build something as big as a feature, but Hans, maybe you have more experience with features than I do. No, uh, I, um, I only in the script writing part of it. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, no, but that's again, uh, playing to, again, playing to your strengths. Like I, I'm tired of this world where uh, it's like the default expectation is that you need to be the director or you need to make a movie. And it's like, no, we're each going to find what we each can do. And then what I think a movie is personally is when you get people who are good at different things and it magically comes together. That's and, incredible. Yeah. And someone can, can solve that puzzle to do it, right? Right. right? That's what I think makes the best kind of features is when you assemble the right marriage of, chemi uh, of chemicals to create this like amazing explosion, right? In the, yeah. in the al alchemy sense, right? Um, but that's a whole different animal, you know? But I think it's like, we, we shouldn't bog ourselves down where I need to be the star. It's like, I need to be the guy who makes the movie. I, no, we each have our own little like skill sets and, mm. you know, right. that's, that's what I try to do with any project I worked on with other people. It's like, well, what can I provide for, what does this thing need? You know, whenever I am assembling with a you know, with a bigger team, you know, and it's what, kind of, are you, what are you streaming? And this is kind of an analogy <laughs> I wanted to bring here. So this okay. is a colorized uh, video from 1929 of construction workers on the Chrysler building. Nice. So 
to the comment that somebody said over here about that uh, this was only possible with slavery. I mean, these That's people. That's not true. I yeah, disagree. they were. I saw the comment. I completely disagree. Yeah, these these people were workers, and uh, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, the ancient world had a lot of that, like with the Spartans and the Helots and so on and so forth. But uh, this is an example of people who I don't think there were any deaths at all. Nobody fell down to their doom. No, no, they did. There was a lot. They of deaths. did really. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's On fine. The no, but that's, not, that's not the point. That's not the the point. Is they they did it, you know? I'm they gonna did have to it, take a look at that. Regardless of the risks and regardless of the of the worries, I have a theory about Looney Tunes of why the slapstick comedy was so relatable then and it's not now. Like Looney Tunes was relatable because when you're a construction worker, think 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 think, working on these big buildings and you saw your friend fall, you had to cope with the br the brutality of that of the of the workplace or a hammer fell on someone's head i think comedy is a coping mechanism and that was actually that physical comedy was more relatable oh. because people had more tough jobs back then Dude, you know? <laughs> by the way you were wrong you were wrong sir there Me? were zero yes there were zero deaths in the chrysler building there were in the Chrysler building. Yeah, oh, there were. On. There were. Yeah, here. I'm, I'll show you. Really? Here, yeah, here's the wow. proof. Look. Okay. Yeah. I'll, so I'll official reports. Zero. Yeah, zero yeah. construction related deaths. Uh, wow. But uh, and only 14 during the construction of the Empire State Building. Well, then so, maybe I was thinking of the Empire State. Yeah, <laughs> but but there just, we go. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of accidents though. What I'm trying to say is like physical labor equals. I mean, I work construction with my brother on the side. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So like I like you develop a sense of humor about all the like the the the, the hurt you know mm -hmm. uh, and it's like that's but also yeah. you're hitting on something bigger like it's easy to look back on humanity and cynically say call things out like oh that was wrong that was put with slavery that was this but first of all you're not in that time so it's irrelevant and also like it, it's a what you're saying is it's a big picture stuff look what they accomplished but yeah you evil can create great things the evil occurred. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you're here to to judge it as evil, it occurred, mm -hmm. and there's the result. So I think it's okay to marvel at things that yeah. were accomplished, yeah. and you could also study the the horrible ways it was accomplished. Sure, right, right. Consider that it's not like you're going to do it again that way. But right. like at the same time, it's 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 a waste, and it's very cynical to mm -hmm. just pass it off as oh yeah, well that was an exploitive, uh, horrible, and uh, you know, and it's a human thing. Um, so the, the evil of slavery to me is the owning a person like property part, right? <laughs> but like work itself is not slavery, right? Because you could say, oh, I slaved away animating this cartoon. But let's not let's not do a false equivalency here. Yeah. You know? Or the you're evil a sl of slavery slave here is owning coffee. a fucking person and removing yeah. their rights as an individual being. You can slave away at something and work your ass off until your fingers get blisters, right? But that's not necessarily slavery in the yeah. owning a person part. Like a, a lot of the people probably building the cathedrals. Yeah, maybe you could say it's an endangered servitude or they had no other choice. So they went to go build, but they found something to do. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't necessarily they, that the church owned the a, person. You know, yeah. it's, let's just find. Let's at least comb through the nuance and not like default to a nihilistic ne negativity. Right. Yeah. You know, because especially because like the world was a very different place as time goes on. You know what I mean? Well, like, it's also bigger yeah. than, it's also bigger than our words. I mean, slavery. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what is slavery? You could, you could start going on. I mean, if you, if you talk about like, for example, uh, uh, Orwell's 
was it Orwell? Uh, Road to Wigan Pier, his, his, his opinions about the working class in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was there, that is a form of slavery. It, it, it's more economic slavery, more right. local, uh, a class slavery. And there's, uh, yeah. And, that, and of course, this is, this, is the favorite, this is the favorite target of, 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 of more left leaning individuals that they, they point to this. And Right. I, I suppose it is slavery, uh, but I mean, you have to be specific about these things. Um, the the right. Empire State Building was not built by slavery. Exactly. It, it may have been built by exploited workers. I'll give you that. Sure. Yeah, sure and, let, and, and let's not do that again. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, like, we should always try to learn and improve. Yeah, right? But at yeah. the same time, let, let's marvel at their accomplishment. The yeah. Time, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not like, yeah. oh, that's bad. I can't appreciate that because it, mm. it was, you know, unfair how it was. No, like, like. If anything, you're doing them less of a service that if they did toil away horribly at it, and now you're not like appreciating what came out of it. It's you know you got to balance that. <laughs> it's, like, it's an interesting, and it's an ongoing way to look at history. You know, it, and I'm not I, I'm not decided on it. I'll be honest. It's, no, me neither. It's like I a, think it's just it's a, it's it's a case by case scenario. Yeah, yeah. And this and there's good and bad in in everything, right? There's the light and the dark and everything. It has to be, yeah. Absolutely. So I think we're going to be going to, if anybody has any more super chats, we are going to be going to the super chats soon if there are the super chats. So if you guys want to support the channel, sneed those super chats over to break the rules. Don't forget to subscribe once again, breaktherules.tv. There's going to be a lot of great streams that are currently brewing right now in development. They are going to be very fun, very contentious. Sticks Hexenhammer 666 is coming back. We are going to be having a lot of very interesting debates with him. So for all the Sticks fans, don't forget, by the way, if you become a patron, patreon.com slash break the rules, you are going to get a very beautiful wooden magnet for the $20 tier. For the $10 tier, you'll get the MP3 episodes of the uh, of the episodes when they come out. And you are also going to get a chance to be in the streams as well when we announce them ahead of time. And for the $20, look at these beautiful magnets. I mean, Patrick, you can see the magnets right now uh let me see if i can uh make them visible for you as well a little bit later on but uh yeah very beautiful magnets and when you become a 50 dollars patron you're going to get custom magnets or if you are a fan of sticks you are going to get this beautiful sticks dragon like you see in front of the screen right now so let me see if i can have them in this other window as well for uh, patrick to see but uh and no, I, see him. I see him in uh on youtube Oh, yeah. nice. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, before the potential super chats, uh, the, uh, uh, how, how, what's that cat called? Uh, you know, the one that either is dead or alive, the Schrodinger's the Schrodinger. Yeah. yeah. So before the Schrodinger super chats, I just want to get, uh, any final thoughts on this amazing discussion today, because I think that we went in a whole lot of different directions here and, uh, yeah. So, uh, let's start with, uh, Patrick, you have not been on streams, I think, ever. I think this is your very first uh, live podcast stream. What do you think of the experience of uh, being here? And where are you going to go now in general as far as Patrick Smith, the animator, Patrick Smith, the uh, the father, husband? Uh, where do you see uh, where do you th- see things going for you? Uh, well, I mean, this was a pretty fun experience. I, I, I get the sense that me and Hans aren't, aren't as, like, exciting as some of your past podcasts. no it has nothing to do no 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 no, not at all this is you're not you're wrong about that what this is purely is a lot of the 
people who I bring on, they have a super active online audience. So the audience goes there to see a lot of uh, you know, like the people that they uh, enjoy seeing. You guys are a completely new experience, and I want the people who are going to be watching this, not when it's live, but later on, to follow Patrick, check out his work, follow Hans, check out his work. Believe you me, Patrick, this was an amazing discussion, and I really yeah. appreciate you guys being here. Well, it was great to have you, and as far as your question, you know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue doing what I do. I make my short films and I and I post them online, and that's that's how I make a living. And hopefully, I'll be doing that uh, for the foreseeable future. So um, yeah, it's it's great to be here, and it's it's been a great conversation with Hans and you as well as you, Lev. Same here, Patrick. Honestly, like it's been really cool, and I actually would love to hear what your thoughts are on that book if you end up reading it. Yeah. Oh shit! What was it again? It's called One. All right, hold on. All right, one. That's easy to remember. By David Carp with a K. Right. Mm. Same name as the guy who created uh, Tumblr, I believe. Really? <laughs> it's not that guy. This is like, I think it was written in the 50s or something. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and, and look at this comment over here uh, from Our Weapon. This has been one of the best episodes, IMO. So there we go. Don't count this episode out, Patrick. People are enjoying this very much. It's all a matter of discoverability. So there's going to be a lot more episodes to come where there's going to be a lot of very famous online people who are going to be not only interesting but also pumping up the stream so that people can go back, watch this one, and get a lot out of it. But anyway, Hans, can you tell us a little bit about what is to come with Season 2 of Smiling Friends? Uh, just that it's happening. I can't, I can't um, say anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited. Uh, I've already laughed a few times of what's to come. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited for you guys to see, you know, what you think. And anything uh, with you your uh, with your independent projects? Can you talk a little bit about yeah. what's happened there? I'm uh, working on a very exciting uh, live action project. Uh, it's independent, you know, but uh, it's big. It's very, very big. And uh, we're going to be filming it very soon. And uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited. It's yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, I, I can't uh, say, but I unfortunately I'm right now in this position in the timeline of making this stuff where I can't talk about it. But it's going to be really. I'm especially excited for this live action thing I'm making. Uh, and I made and a also, lot of costumes for it, and yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> and also for the people who are watching, I forgot the Patreon link. Here is Patreon.com/slash/BreakTheRules. You see that link over here? Uh, fans of Hans and fans of Patrick, click that right now and click the subscribe button. Yeah, smash that. Join, oh, yeah. join, break the rules. And if you guys don't know what break the rules does, I mean, this sort of gives you a hint of it. But what break the rules does is I bring on people who otherwise would never have a chance to talk to each other. I mean, Patrick and Hans, you guys are both in animation, but you're in very different parts of the animation uh, spectrum. But another thing that I would usually do is bring on people who are more famous on Twitter, more famous in internet culture, and bring them together with people who are like uh, gov government think tank officials, you know, like people that a lot of the online Twitter people like criticizing all the time and just basically getting them to in the same room virtually and being able to voice the criticisms because this is very different than having like some CNN program with the talking heads where they both know their roles. They both know what they're supposed to do. And uh, it's just become program messaging. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just repeat their talking points while here all of a sudden you have somebody who is just on internet forums and is just talking about the various problems that they see in society or things that they want to point out. And all of a sudden they have a chance to speak with people who are part 
partly responsible for setting policy. You know, it's something that is only possible, I think, today with mm-hmm. the kind of connections that we can make. This is what Break the Rules does, and this is what Break Rules is going to keep doing with your help. We need your help to grow, and we really, really appreciate it. So, Patrick, Hans, always a pleasure. I would love, by the way, to get Tom Fulp on the stream eventually for a new Grounds-related stream, and I would love for you to join that, him. And- that would be awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. So with with that being said, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to subscribe, add a like, it helps the algorithm. Good night, everybody.